Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Story Smack. This is episode 72 of Story Smack. This is a podcast about stories and storytellers in the world of pop culture. My name is A.B. Sigler, uh, audiobook narrator and founding partner at Empty Set Entertainment. And my name is Scott Sigler, number one New York Times bestselling novelist, and most important, I was inverted. <laughs> and as ever, we have with us our good friend and Empty Set movie maven, Rob Otto. How are you, Robbie? I am excellent, um, and I know you can't see this on the podcast part, but I did get my old bomber jacket oh, out. Oh, no! Uh, yes. Uh, okay, I that would be is so it, badass. Except for two things. It's about <laughs> 95 degrees in Michigan right now. All right. Um, and it doesn't quite fit the way it did in 1987. So yes. we're just going to show did it. Did we look, drive look at, to, was it Traverse City to get those or something like it that? It was Traverse City where we had to drive all <laughs> Wait a minute. Did you have one too? Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness oh, yeah. gracious. We, we, uh, we, we drove. I don't know who else got one. Me and Rob drove to Traverse City, which is an hour away from Sheboygan, Michigan, where we grew up. And it was, it was just time to buy bomber jackets. I mean, sometimes you got to do that. I, I have like, a serious question, gentlemen. Pre or post Top Gun. Uh, well, oh, be definitely post. Post, post Top Gun. <laughs> oh, post no, 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 no doubt I love about it. it. Oh. I love it so and, much. And, and, and in, the, my, the, in my the head, aviator, I... the aviator sunglasses uh-huh. with, the, with the little like leather flaps on the oh, side. Yeah. 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 yeah, I got a pair of those. Too. I seem to remember we were going to get some kind of a unit insignia on our yeah, jackets, but sure, I can't for say sure. for sure if that was the case. As many years ago, but so, uh, so as you can see. We rather like this movie. Yeah, and for you guys who are listening, we are we are reviewing Top Gun, 1986's top grossing movie, Top Gun. Um, this uh, episode is also sponsored for the first time. We are sponsored by Heartbeat Hot Sauce. Uh, we are Heartbeat Hot Sauces have been featured on three seasons of the very popular YouTube mm. series The Hot Ones, which is fantastic. If you haven't seen it, it's super fun. Um, and if you go to Heartbeat hotsauce.com and use the code Sigler, S-I-G-L-E-R, you save 20% on your entire order. FDO, you'll pimp them again later in the show, but for I now, can will. you give us uh, the movie will. guy intro for Top Gun? Movie guy info intro for Top Gun. The Top Gun Naval Fighter Weapons School is where the best of the best trained to refine their elite flying skills. When hotshot fighter pilot Maverick is sent to the school... His reckless attitude and cocky demeanor puts him at odds with the other pilots, especially the cool and collected Iceman. But Maverick isn't only competing to be the top fighter pilot, he's also fighting for the attention of his beautiful flight instructor, a woman named Charlotte Charlie Blackwood. (laughs) There we go. Uh, so, uh, we always, at this point in the show, we talk a little bit about the financials. Yeah, um, let's do it. Yeah. So Top Gun back in 1986 cost $15 million to make in 1986. And that's production budget only. We're going to get into some of the fun things about this movie having to have contracted with the <laughs> Navy and the Navy does all sorts of kind of 
crazy um, tie-in stuff because they want to maximize their benefit, too. Um, so we'll talk about that a little bit later. But production budget, $15 million in 1986, which today would be about $37.7 million. It's so still pretty, pretty hefty. It's still a pretty, I mean, for what you see yeah. on the screen, it's a pretty cheap movie. It is. Uh-huh. Oh, for sure, for sure. And this is one of the very, uh, one of the first times we see just giant, giant, giant budgets from the Bruckheimer, what becomes the Bruckheimer Bay. At this point, it's Bruckheimer Simpson, but becomes this big, big, big uh set piece thing and they did do a lot for that much money uh it made <clears throat> 357.1 million dollars at million the box office Holy crap I could not tell you uh, when, what what time frame that covers since 1996. So I'm not going to convert it to 2021 dollars just because I think it might be a longer total than like the first year of release. And I couldn't find otherwise. So, okay, uh, we have uh, general thoughts on the films. Robbie, what did you think on the film? This is another one of those 80s movies that actually ages pretty well. Um, You know what? And I think part of it, we'll get into it when we talk about Kelly McGillis's character. But I think her character is one of the reasons why it actually ages so well. And just in general, you know, the, the fighting and they don't really name the bad guys, you know, that kind of stuff. So the, the, the practical special effects, so it doesn't look cheesy because they used Mm. real ships and real pilots and real airplanes that the movie, you get into the characters. There's just enough gravitas there. And then it's all the action stuff, which is really well shot and really well edited mm-hmm. and has a touch of realism to it mm-hmm. that the movie goes really well. And and it shocks me when you say those numbers, A, mm-hmm. that we've had to wait this long for them to realize they need to get a sequel to this movie out. I mean, it's how there was one yeah. two years later, I have no freaking idea. And I will tell you from my perspective, my general thoughts are twofold, and I'll keep them very brief. One is I completely agree with your assessment. I'll talk a little bit later about the one thing that doesn't hold up for me, which is amazing for a film that is so testosterone-driven. So, mm-hmm. like, you know, dudes in planes. Like, it's... There's one thing, and it has nothing to do with any of that. But I will also say this. Last night, we were re-watching this last night uh, because we've both seen it a zillion times. At first, we thought, well, we're not going to watch it. And then we were like, nah, we got to do the right thing. And I'll tell you this. I had – poor Scott. I had to stop him – I had to stop two or three times to say, like, if if I have genuinely believed for 30 years that if – oh, spoiler alerts, you guys. Yep. <laughs> if Maverick had been less of a Maverick, Goose would still be alive. And for me – that has been very important. And then when we rewatched it last night, I realized like, well, yes, of course, but then it wouldn't be Top Gun. And I quite literally never thought of that. I thought you could just be a little less of a and he, he, your best friend and only family, your own words, your only family would still be alive. So I love that I kind of got that revelation 30 years later. Yeah. <laughs> that of course yeah. it wouldn't be the same movie. And, and, and I'm not sure we'd have a star of a movie <laughs> named Milk Toast. Exactly. So, <laughs> Precisely. Yeah. Exactly. Just you could saying. see that on his helmet. Milk Toast wouldn't work out very <laughs> <laughs> a little, but I honestly, I was like kind of a little crabby at Maverick mm-hmm. until last night when I realized like, yeah, sure, of course, but that's not this movie. What about you? Uh, let's see if I'm doing this correctly. Adjusted for inflation, I believe 37.7 million is 900, oh, 92.5 Well, that's, million. that, that was, that right? it's three, do 351.1 million. 351.1. One, one, oh, 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 that, <laughs> that can't be right. <laughs> it made $98 trillion. It did make $92 million, I think. 
What? Yeah, it's a ninety-two million, ninety-two point two million dollars in, in twenty twenty-one dollars. Yeah, no, that's eighty-nine hundred. This is million. completely yeah. screwed. Forget I it. tried not to do this. <laughs> yeah, I know. What yeah. are your general thoughts on the movie? Um, I thought it aged pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I'm a little thrown off right now. Let me, let me see if I can get my head back. Yeah, in the math game here. is hard for Scott. I think we should just go on. Hey, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I thought it was a good movie. Let's move on. Oh, no. Oh, no. So you, uh, if you do want to go, do you want to call up the photos? Yeah, let's go to the cast. Uh, So, Robbie, I think you're going to start with the screenwriters. Yeah, screenwriters. So this is a cool story about how this came about, too. There was actually an article in California Magazine in 1983 called Top Guns, and it was all about Miramar. It was all about the Navy flight school. That was there on the West Coast and uh, Bruckheimer, Jerry Bruckheimer saw it and read it and brought it to his partner, Don Simpson, and says, this is a movie like just this article Mm -hmm. is a freaking movie. And so they handed it off. uh, Jim Cash, Jack Epps Jr., who write this movie. But they went back to the guy who wrote the article, whose name was Ehud Yane, and they talked to him so much, they gave him a co-writing credit on the movie. So the guy who wrote the that. article that became the idea that turned it into a movie actually got residuals when we watched this movie last night. So that's uh Wow, that's and he got a cool. lot of residuals. Because I know this off the top of my head because I can calculate inflation. In today's dollars, <laughs> this movie earned $862,111,724.45. And so there. Yeah, so I clearly know bad. how to do all of the math. And you guys know the idea of a one-sentence pitch, right? You've got to be able to break it down into one sentence. And right. so when Bruckheimer sure. came to Simpson, he said, this is Star Wars on Earth. And Simpson said, well, yeah, we're making that movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. It was pretty straightforward, pretty straightforward. And that uh, once the screenplay was set, that went over to director Tony Scott. Um, mm. Steven Soderbergh, David Cronenberg, and John Carpenter turned were, or they turned it down the chance to direct this. Tony Scott, brother of Ridley Scott, which is a very talented family, was hired. Scott's only previous film credit was the Dark House film The Hunger, but he directed a commercial with a jet racing a car. I remember that commercial, and that's <laughs> and that sold him for the project. Paramount was nervous and tried keeping him on a short leash. Scott was fired on three different occasions. <laughs> For going over budget and over schedule, he was always rehired and was able to finish the film. And this is the thing that happens with Tony Scott throughout his career, uh, you know, tragically cut short uh, recently with his death. And um, he he does this all along, which is kind of interesting because there are some some writers I know you among them who know what to fight for. Uh-huh. You also know sometimes what to let go when some, you know, they're like, ah, oh, we can't use this name. You're like, okay, I'll change it. All right. Well, they can't really have this much violence in their, in their relationship. You're like, nope, mm-hmm. not going to work. And that works. It always worked that way for you too. So it's right. kind of fun to see that he was, forgive my use of this word, but he was a little bit of a maverick uh, director. He was a maverick director. Oh, oh, That's oh, a good point. I didn't mean to do that, but he really was because he was trying to make the best Top Gun he could. And he probably did. I think uh, um, moving on the producers. So Jerry Bruckheimer is the name you should all know. Um, <clears throat> and at the time, back in 1986, he was partnered producer partners with Don Simpson. And uh, although their production uh, partnership was cut short by Don Simpson's accidental death at 52 years old in 1996, they were wildly successful. Maybe you have heard of some of their other movies. What movies have they made? Hey, Dangerous Minds. I've heard of it. Crimson Tide. I've heard of it. Days of Thunder. Oh, yes. 
all the the bad boys. I kind of love this. Don Simpson gets credit for every bad, as a producer, gets credit for every bad boys movie that gets made. So even the ones after his death, he gets, which is great for his family and his his estate and that sort of thing. It's really nice. I bet the director still said he interfered too much. (laughs) (laughs) Probably so. They made a little movie you may or may not have heard of called Beverly Hills Cop. I have heard that. Yeah. They made The Rock. No one gets off the rock. No one gets off the rock. And my favorite of their producing uh, combination, uh, a little movie called Flashdance. Oh, is that They were maniacs, maniacs on the floor. Um, So, oh, sorry. Uh, Yeah, so uh, uh, Jerry Bruckheimer's still alive, of course, and moves on to a partnership with uh, producer Michael Bay. If you look at Jerry Bruckheimer's influence on American cinema, it is unmistakably this Top Gun type of thing. This is where he sits. This is where he gets seated into, I know how to entertain people for three hours at a time. And he does such a good job of it. And, and of course, Michael Bay adds more explosions, more pretty faces, more Michael dramatic does sets. Michael like, Bay does like his explosions. And, of course, some yeah. of the chairmen, of course, are going to come at lens flare. But he does like, <laughs> he does like his explosions. <laughs> Rob... That brings Let's us get to, on to the main man, Mr. 80s, if you will, the main man, Tom Cruise. Yeah, but at the time, they weren't sure he was going to be Mr. 80s, right? He had, he had done that thing. He, he did his career right, started small, a small part in Endless Love, and then he works his way up, supporting characters and taps and outsiders uh-huh. and losing it. Where he still had that awful snaggle to him losing it. I mean, you can't even look at his face anymore. But then he gets his teeth fixed, gets risky business, all the right moves, legend. And people are like, this guy might be something. Might be and so something. They, they put him in this movie. And it was specifically written for Tom Cruise. When, when the guys saw him in all the right moves, you know, Steph Georgievich, the football player. Great movie. They kind of Love took that movie. attitude, chip on the shoulder, something to prove attitude and put it right into this character. So it was kind of, you know, very different character, but written with Tom Cruise in mind. And then Paramount says, well, no, we're not going to go with Tom Cruise. This is going to be a huge movie. We're going to put an established box office star. We're going to put Patrick Swayze or Nick Cage or John Cusack or Emilio okay. Estevez, somebody like that, uh-huh. so that we can bank on right from the get-go. But the funny thing is, all those guys said no. <laughs> like So they accidentally have to go with Tom Cruise, even though Paramount didn't want to, but they end up going with the producer's first choice. And obviously, I mean, you can't see this movie with anybody else in it. And it's, obviously, you can't, it's, it's hard to even imagine it at this point without yeah. the cheesy and the way and it grin. skyrockets from there. You look back and this is really the big budget, big picture launch of Tom Cruise's career. I don't disagree at all. And all, but also those movies you named in and of themselves his first seven movies are unstoppable. Even yeah, today, no, they're unstoppable. It's movie. insanely right. awesome. It's a huge start to a huge career. Yeah. I mean, he's, one of the things that um, actors and their teams have to be good at is picking the right project. Because you often watch yep. major stars rolling along, then they do a dog, then they do another dog, and they're not done per se. They've always they've still got a great career ahead of them. But their time at the top of the marquee in $20 million of film, etc., that goes away, and Tom Cruise's team stretched that out a lot longer than a lot of other actors. Do you think that? Do you think that any of that is on Tom Cruise? Like, do you think he was good at listening to his team? I don't, I don't have any info, but it's it's probably. I would guess it's a combo. But he's yeah. just yeah. endured for so long; his instincts 
were pretty good for a while. Then they went through some trouble. And then, of course, you know, then he came back in Tropic Thunder. Yeah. And well, listen, stuff. whoever he listened to to get his teeth fixed, he yeah. should just keep listening to that person. <laughs> so Rob, I think they did. Rob, I, I wasn't sure did. I was going to mention this, but um, I, I had, if you guys don't know this in the chat room, and Rob, I know you don't know this, I got braces at 33 because I lost a tooth uh, oh, early no. on, like when I was uh, back back here. And my midline what what is wrong with him is his midline shifted because he was missing molars and so his teeth kind of did this and my teeth did the same thing and when i went to an orthodontist like something's happening with my bite i went to the dentist they sent me to the orthodontist the orthodontist was like this is what's happening to Tom Cruise. <laughs> and I was like, well, cool. I don't have Tom Cruise's money. Is there a way for me to fix this and afford it? And I had braces for what they promised was nine months, but it was really two and a half years. So, so yeah, now we, uh, well, then I'm glad you listened to your people. Too. Me too. Well done. <laughs> we come to an actor who did not make as good choices, as good of a choice as we say, but who was a big star in, in the day. Mr. Val Kilmer, of course, who played Iceman. He'd had success with Top Secret and Real Genius, one of my favorite movies. Fantastic! I believe Fantastic it was. Movie. I believe it was Socrates who said, "I drank what?" I just that well, that line is always. <laughs> it has always stuck with me. Valcomer did not want to play Lieutenant Tom Iceman Kaczynski, but he was contractually obligated to do it by the studio. It may be the best save of the movie. Oh, um, for sure. Kilmer ad-libbed yeah. his coughing and saying bullshit to Matt's story when he's talking about being inverted. And, and he did. He just did a great job in the movie. It was it was pretty clear that Kilmer was not what the star of this. What a great choice of photos, Scott. But this this shows Kilmer's Kilmer's breadth when he was uh, playing the lead singer of The Doors. Yeah. He did. Now he, it may or may not be true that many of us also spiked our hair and got the tips frosted. No, I'm not sure frosted. that has anything to do with Iceman. I'm yeah. just saying. Uh, I'm just putting it out there, Rob. I'm pretty sure. And then his career has has. No, it's been a long time. He had a really good career. Of course, he was Batman. Mm. Uh, I missed the Batman picture. But then he did a movie called the Salton Sea or Salton Sea. Uh, Salton Sea. It's so good. It's so good. It's bonkers. If you guys haven't seen the Salton Sea, he is spectacular in it. The movie is quite, it's very different for oh, a yeah. movie. It's a definitely an indie movie. It's a really good movie. Yeah. I would also say if you're not into indies, you can watch The Saint, which is less of a good movie, but still a spectacular performance by Kilmer and a really, really fun, fun romp of a movie. I will say you you mentioned like he hasn't gone on. Um, we He kept from the public for this is him some, somewhat today. Mm-hmm. And he kept from the public for literally 15 years that he was battling throat cancer. So everybody saw his appearance change and him Ugh. drop out of public life and he did these little bitty things because he didn't he didn't want to share he didn't want to go through that journey publicly which is every man's right every person's right but i'm glad that he did because he has done so much good work even after that with i think is it he does mark twain mm-hmm. now right isn't it mark? Yes. yeah it is mark, mark twain, twain. Yeah. he's got right. a lot of new yep. credits coming out right and i think you know finally getting past a point where he thought i i may i don't know because he hasn't shared a lot about that journey but i think he got to a point where he knew he would live right and he was like cool now i'm, I'm still a creator the, i have to do and i'm so glad he did because he he is a he is a talent and an, an american uh, icon mr val kilmer once upon a time a batman uh, that is his story and then we move on to somebody who probably is the most the most fetid lauded actor 
in the bunch, I think, and that is yeah. whoop, Anthony Edwards. Oh, who just you did such a good role. job choosing these photos. I have to mention, you're, you're pulling, there are so many famous people in this movie, and you're pulling these beautiful, iconic roles that they had, and they've Thank had you. like 20 or 30 roles, yeah. so it's really nice. So Anthony Edwards plays Goose. You all know him, but you, you know and love him as Goose, but the reality is he played Goose in Top Gun, had success before Top Gun in Zodiac, in Miracle Mile, and of course in Revenge, Revenge of, of the, the Nerds, Nerds right? <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing, you guys. He is lauded and awarded and does his best work on TV. Mm-hmm. He is best known as his role for his role, this role of Mark Dr. Mark Green on the first eight seasons of e- of ER, which for which he received a Golden Globe Award and six Screen Actor Guild Awards and was nominated four consecutive times for a primetime Emmy. I think, you know, it's a funny thing because the Emmys are wholly separate from the Oscars, but because production budgets on movies are so extravagant and they're a one shot, you don't quite understand what it takes to be an actor day in and day out for eight seasons on a TV show. And that he routinely got nominated and routinely won makes him an enormously talented mm-hmm. human being. And well-deserved. He, and it, also, it is. And this show may be largely forgotten by the Utes, but it right. was, he was awesome in it. Right. And well, I think yeah, that all of that he brings to he brought all of that talent, of course, to Top Gun in what is a support, clearly a supporting role mm-hmm. with all the aplomb to make not only Maverick seem like if, if Goose thinks Maverick is a good guy, everybody thinks Maverick That's is a good, good point. Guy. But here's the other mm-hmm. thing. Goose also thinks Iceman is a good guy. And therefore, you kind <laughs> of don't like you don't create the real big rivalry like I will kill you. And that helps, you know, I think it does. But yeah. you also, I mean, after uh, spoiler alert, after Goose's death, um, like the only nice thing Iceman says in the whole movie until the very end is when he's trying to be a human being mm-hmm. and console Maverick after Goose dies. And just like everybody liked Goose. That's mm-hmm. like the only thing he can come up with. But it's true. And this would be a 100% testosterone movie if not for Goose throwing out one-liners and yeah. laughs and giggles. Yep. It would have been 100 miles an hour for 90 minutes. And instead, Goose gives us a little tap the brakes every once in a while. Let's shake off some of the heavy stuff and have a little giggle. That's yep. his role, and he's good at it. And he's so good at it that you really believe that this this gentleman in the this character in the show, he mm-hmm. does that all the time. He's the guy who diffuses the people getting antsy yep. in the checkout line at the grocery store. He's always there with a yeah. joke because when when he's with his wife later on when so they're relaxed. all with. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's like so she's like my favorite. We'll talk about it later. Bring but there's a her. favorite my favorite scene in the mo- in the whole movie. He, and he's just like everybody's asking him for something. And he's always saying yes. Yes, darling. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. Right. Because thought, he's the everyman. I thought his role was the glue that tied it all together. I mean, yeah. Tom Cruise is acting in this, in my opinion, is a little still a little rough around the edges. Yep. It's a little too sure. on the nose. Uh, and then you've got Val Kilmer as the cool collected ice man, which is also a little bit of a caricature and Goose is the thread that makes all of those performances better just by him. Agreed. What he does on the screen. So Anthony Edwards is is pretty crushing in this. And then, of course, we move on to the... uh, Fantastic Kelly McGillis. And Rob Rob has some things to say about... (laughs) (laughs) So... Kelly McGillis, um, she's coming off of Witness, right, where she gets a BAFTA nomination, Golden Globe nomination, right? Still relatively unknown. Not sure if you can bank on her. 
And then she gets this part and what ends up being the biggest blockbuster of the year. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting to talk about the character of Charlie. And you're wondering where in the process they signed Kelly McGillis on because okay. Charlie in some original iterations was uh, like a pilot groupie. Like she would have been one of those floozies at the bar in the opening scene. And that's yeah. just like, well, that ruins the whole damn thing. Right. Um, I mean, that basically turns us into an officer and a gentleman, right? I mean, that's that's what it becomes. At one point, she was supposed to be a gymnast. Like, what? I'm, I don't know how that fits in. <laughs> but, you know, having dated a gymnast years ago, that would have worked out well for Mav. I'm just saying. That's, that's what it would have been. And then, while the producers were doing, you know, site visits and learning and talking to naval personnel, uh-huh. in walks this woman. Um, named, where's your first name? I know her last name is Fox because that just kind of stuck with me. Um, where is it? Where's her name? I don't know. Uh, uh, Christine, Christine Fox. Christine, Thank you. Yeah. Christine okay. Fox, right. Christine Fox walks in. Tall, blonde, leggy, stiletto heels. Okay. You hear her clonking down the hallway when she's walking right and every head turns when she walks in. She works at the Center for Naval Analyses, which is literally across the street from Top Gun. And her call sign was legs, right? <laughs> but awesome. she basically did what Charlie does in the movie, mm-hmm. right? I mean, she's like she's like a, um, a mathematical analysis uh, person, right? And so she works for them. And she eventually goes on and becomes the acting U.S. Deputary, uh, Deputy Secretary of Defense for a few months in 2013 and 2014, making her the highest ever ranking female officer in the defense department. Holy so, crap. Yeah. But, but they saw this woman and they're like, who the hell is that? And then they talked to Christine Fox and they're like, well, th- this is this what is we way need better. in a movie. This is way better. We, <laughs> we need one of her. Right. Yeah. And so they changed the character. They changed Charlie into this. And, and this is why I think the movie works. Right. Because think about it at the time. Most women just are vapid sex, sex objects. Yeah. Right. Yep. Well, by and large. Yeah. Well, especially Mav, in a movie like this. Yeah, yeah for right, sure. Exactly. Yeah. Especially testosterone movie, right? Which is what Mav essentially assumes she is at the beginning of the movie. Right? For sure. Or the movie itself is about them building up their character and their self-confidence. Right. Mm-hmm. So by the end of the movie, they're a whole person. Charlie starts out that way. Right. She's self-confident. She is incarnate. She has all of her stuff together. And... She goes after what she wants, what works for her. When she first invites Mav over, it's like, yeah, I brought you over here because I need to learn about the MIG because it's going to get me a promotion. Mm-hmm. Right? And then, you know, he walks in. It's even one little line, I think, spells her whole character. He walks in. He's late for dinner. Mm-hmm. And he says, um, do you mind if I go take a shower first? And she's like, yes, I do mind. I'm hungry. Yep. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's it. It's about me. And that's yep. because it makes her a round character. She's the reason Mav comes back. Mm-hmm. She's the reason there is an end of the movie because he was running away. Mm-hmm. Right? She's she's the linchpin. And mm-hmm. that's why it's so great, which makes you wonder, like actresses for our entire lives and still today are saying there's not enough good roles for women. Right. Why doesn't one of these well-respected, well-connected women? I mean, why isn't Gina Davis or Tatum O'Neill or Michelle Pfeiffer or or Ali Sheedy, or somebody who's already established, not jumping at this role, I think they just saw airplanes and said, well, I'm not going to be in a testosterone movie. And Did, they all missed out. Yeah. And Kelly so McGillis I don't disagree. Was the, out of the park. Was the leg slash Fox role, was that established in the script by the time they signed Kelly McGillis or did it come that's, after the fact? That's, 
That's what I'm not sure about. Okay. I wonder how much of it changed between hiring Kelly McGillis and the movie being shot. So maybe the established actresses saw earlier drafts and just completely dismissed okay. it because yeah. okay. she wasn't legs yet. Yeah. So maybe that's it. Yeah, maybe that that's a pretty good point, actually. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. And that brings us to the other female co-lead, uh, my Holy my is rich, but I'll my, give it to you. <laughs> Thank you for that. My my girlfriend from high school, ladies and gentlemen, my girlfriend, uh, Miss Meg Ryan. <laughs> oh, I didn't know. Congratulations. Yes, thank, yes it was delightful. <laughs> uh, Meg Ryan played Carol Bradshaw, the wife of Naval Officer Nick Goose Bradshaw. She gets in several of the best lines of the movie. Of course, the, hey, Goose, you big stud. <laughs> Take me to bed or lose me forever. And I... Show me the way, honey. She was my favorite such line an iconic <laughs> actress of the 80s. And I will not lie that I based my vision of what a proper relationship should be based on Goose and Meg Ryan. Nice. Well, movie. lucky for you that you married <laughs> you me. You could do a lot worse. <laughs> you like, could do a lot they worse. Were, they were fun. They were silly. There was nothing, at least when they were in public, nothing. There, didn't, there was no tension. And then just like, there's like... This is awesome. We're awesome. I think this dude is great. He, I think this chick is amazing. We have a, a family. Like, there's it, their relationship is nothing but pure fun and love. One hundred few minutes they're on the screen together. Those mm-hmm. two actors combining for that role literally shape like that's what I want out of life. I want that kind of relationship. Right. And you know, of course, your uh, whatever fourteen, fifteen year old self when you first watched this mm-hmm. um, saw that and literally saw quite literally a hundred and. 27 seconds of their relationship. Sure. That doesn't mean you were wrong at all. Of course, they're going to fight about who changes the diaper and who feeds the kid and you forgot to do the laundry and all the stuff we all do. But the, um, my favorite, so that's my favorite line in the movie. Take me to bed or lose me forever because Mm -hmm. she shouts it in public, which, (laughs) you know, we were just talking about like, does it age well? And that is a thing that was absolutely too much to bear back in the 80s you know if you did that like okay every single person was on you i don't know i was 15 but i believe this was we've come a long way baby from that like now you could do that you'd be like you come talk to me 
I would like to point in a, out in a bar, but you can't, you couldn't do that then, and yet she did because she knew she knew her man well, and she knew before, her lady. Before you move on, have, Scotty. Yeah, we just said want to say we have South Africa and Australia and the U.S. and Canada represented ah, the chat room so far. Very international. Cheers, you guys. Nice. Go cheers. Ahead, Robbie. Hit it, Robbie. Yeah. Um, also, keep in mind we were teenagers at the time, and yeah. when you're teenagers, you don't want anyone looking at you. When you get old enough, you don't give a crap if anybody's looking at you. So there's also <laughs> that part of it. They, the two of them, we're in love. We're here together. Nobody else matters. Right. Mm-hmm. We could be alone in this bar, and I'd say it exactly the same way and mm-hmm. exactly the That's same thing. Great. My baby's in the room with us, around. and I'm still doing it because Nothing he needs to know that. this is yeah. how we love each other. Yeah, exactly. So when uh, Paramount, uh, uh, yep, Paramount yep. wasn't happy with Meg Ryan being cast because she was basically a soap opera actress at the time. This is really her first movie role. Is that and right? Thank goodness they did. Because after this is when she takes off. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we also have the UK in the house. So that's at least five nations now. Let's see. We're, Rob, we're going to move on from my girlfriend, uh, Meg Ryan. <laughs> you, can, you chose well as I a did. teenager. To my, I, I mean, to my you really did. And now I've, up, I've upgraded what? now. Because, you know, like... Oh, <laughs> I would say our relationship Aww. is to some degree. There's a lot of PDA. There's a lot of public. There's a lot of just shouting across rooms at each other. And I, I'm still influenced by this movie in my, my whole life long. Rob, let's talk about, let's talk about, let's talk about Viper. Let's talk about, let's talk about the other guys. Tom Scarrett. Viper, Michael Jester. Lynn, Jester. Merlin. Yeah. Let's get into Merlin. it. Yep. So um, Tom Scarrett, Michael Ironside, Tim Robbins. I mean, you want to talk about just a uh, a collection of wonderful character actors, and mm. they're so good at their roles. It takes a while before you start thinking about it, but then you watch this movie. Boom! There's Michael Ironside. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, he's got some gravitas, and then he introduces freaking Tom Skerritt walking down the <laughs> middle of the room. Right? I mean, it's just like like the one time we see Viper up in the plane, you know, going for one of the one of the hops, right? And they're like, oh, great, Viper's here. <laughs> I know. It, and they and they do that yeah. so well. Like, holy shit, okay. Yeah, right, exactly. Because they have that gravitas. Now, it's cool. Scarrett's character, who was the head of Top Gun, call sign Viper, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they got that name. It's an homage to U.S. Navy Rear Admiral Pete Pettigrew, who was an extru- instructor at Top Gun at the time and the tech advisor on the movie. His call sign was Viper. I saw so that in just, the credits. Sh- they just, they just shoved that right over, right? And actually, Pete Bettinger is in the movie, too, the older guy that Charlie's sitting with at the bar. And is when that right? Him, yep. Holy crap. That's Pete Pettigrew. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly right. So way to go. Um, and Michael Ironside um, was so convincing in an officer because they wore, you know, actual naval gear and they mm-hmm. were walking around in Miramar which okay. is a naval base that at one point he was on one floor and he heard he heard a sailor you know running at the, the deck below him and he yelled at him and the sailor like stopped saluted and stopped running and then walked oh yeah I got it yeah I got it <laughs> I think I think I might convince people that this part is real so I will break yeah. in right now before we go on and say two things number one Scott and I live in San Diego where this movie is based and earlier mm-hmm. in this cast you heard Plane, planes fly overhead because our windows are open because it's June and uh, mm-hmm. they they came from Naval Air Base Miramar, which is about a mile and a half east of us directly. Mm. Also, in a lot of these, um, in a lot of the scenes outside, and you see these beautiful, like, um, archway buildings with the with the uh, cannonade which where you walk the all of that if you ever visit san diego go to liberty station liberty station is now a food event 
a mini golf sort of a you go and hang out there. That's where this movie was filmed in 1986 when it was an active naval training facility. Mm -hmm. So you can literally go and hang out there now, go to Stone Brewing and have a few brews and play some bocce ball right where they had all their big, like, are we going to kick them out of the Navy kind of meetings. You two ever just walk over there and yell at each other to take yourselves to bed or lose you forever? Yes, we do. All the time. That bar is downtown and we've been there. We're going to take you there. We're going to take you there when you come out. Rob's going to come out. We're going to work on some stuff. It's going to be great. Uh, Let's get into our favorite things, Robbie. Well, let's no, see. No, first. What? Did I miss Wait, an actor? You missed one. one. Who? There's still one actor. Scott. There's still one oh, actor. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, my goodness gracious. You guys. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, I would like to point out my favorite actor of all time. <laughs> the man with the most manly name in the history of mankind. This guy on the screen, I'm Whip Hubley. Whip Hubley <laughs> plays Hollywood, who in this review of his actions, he's in here mostly so that I can say, I'm Whip Hubley and I don't age. That's it. That's, that's pretty it. much that's it. That's why you wanted him in there. So oh, wait, you can say Whip Hubley a few times. This is a picture of, I'm Whip Hubley, and sometimes hot tubs don't go well for me. <laughs> Good call. <laughs> now we can move on to our favorite Now we can Let's move, move on. on. So I almost forgot all. I did forget all about that. Let's go Let's go to our favorite things. Who is up first? Rob, your favorite, or what, what are your favorite thing, thing about the Top Gun? When I think of this movie, I go right to the music. There's just something about the music, the mm-hmm. soundtrack, the Kenny Loggins, the Berlin, you know, the, the lover boy that's in this movie. Huge, huge Plus, songs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it wins the Oscar for best, you know, best original song. Berlin wins it for yeah. you know, Take My Breath Away, right? Yeah. And, you know, Kenny Loggins became huger and huger. Started with Footloose, then moves up from here. And mm-hmm. it's just freaking huge as can be. And um, Harold Faltemeyer, who does the score, right? And and he was famous at the time because he did the score for Beverly Hills Cop and Fletch. Okay. But the Axel F song, you know, do, 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 do. That's mm-hmm. Harold Faltemeyer, mm-hmm. right? But they weave music into this movie so well. I mean, just not, I mean, the first thing you hear, you don't see anything. You're seeing the Paramount logo and already the electronic drum beat is there. You know, right? And then they get the, you know, front card where it tells you about what the, you know, what Top Gun is. And then that beat goes directly into the guitar, the slamming guitar of Danger Zone. I mean, it's just everything. Plus, music plays a huge role in this movie. Sitting on the dock of the bay, great balls of fire. Um, these are these are points of the movie where things happen all based around music. And so they sold four million copies originally, sold another five million copies when they re-released it in 1999. Jesus Christ. Like everybody bought it again. So, yeah, it's like nine, nine plat- platinum. Holy crap. And uh, yeah, Danger Zone, if you're a fan of Archer, fan of the show Archer, which oh, is nothing sure. but yeah. 80s references. Danger Zone. And they, I would like to point out, we watched this last night, I think it's four separate times yeah. they play the song Danger Zone. Usually mm-hmm. in a movie, uh-huh. you, you hear that iconic song once. Mm-hmm. They were like, yep. this is good. Just keep throwing that shit on the stage. Just do it. <laughs> that guitar yeah. sounds awesome. We're launching <laughs> yeah. planes. Play it again. And A, your favorite thing. Okay, so my favorite things, I will say, out of the three hosts that you are watching now, I have, I am the most native to San Diego where Top Gun was filmed. I moved here in 1996 and Mm -hmm. I have been here ever since. So I'm not a native. I'm definitely a New Yorker, but that's my favorite part of this movie. The fact, two things, how there are so many Navy pilots and sailors in this movie that you see on screen and they are not credited as actors, although they were paid as actors, which I love. Mm -hmm. Um, And all so much of the, uh, 
acrobatic flight that you see was done by actual pilots and right. Navy pilots and also aerobatic pilots for sure. Mm-hmm. And I love that the most. I love that they just integrated the naval, the, the skill set. They didn't ask them to act. And they didn't try and fly, which I know they wouldn't have been able to do, but they didn't try and like make it look it. They did all sorts of close ups in the cockpit. Right. And then they let these actors do their thing on the deck of the aircraft carriers in mm-hmm. the classrooms and in the hangars and obviously in the sky. And I love that so much. I also love the Navy as a character, the Navy as a good, solid thing, not for America, but for these people trying to make a good thing. It's this inside – you don't see this a lot. A lot of times when you see the military in movies, the military is the perfect character. The military is the might. Right. And here there's people like trying to, to be as good as they deserve to be to be in the Navy. And I love that a whole lot too. So my favorite things are, are the same things that I see in San Diego all the time with, the, with this as a, as a part of our community. How about and you? My favorite and the, thing. And the pilots, hang on, the pilots are so good. It's all practical effects. Yeah. I mean, there's not special effects in this Absolutely, movie. It's all practical yeah. effects. It's pretty impressive. It's pretty yeah. impressive. My favorite thing would have been music, but Rob got on my six and then I got caught in a flat spin. And uh, prop wash is a is a beast. It y'all. wasn't your fault though. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do. <laughs> so you Scott, are your, of all um, obligation. Erotic, topless, <laughs> jeans wearing volleyball. Was that was that your favorite thing? Because uh, sec- that's, that's my second. That's my second favorite thing. My second favorite thing is my first favorite thing is how perfectly '80s cheese this is. The <laughs> the plane of long stares. The the seven second to ten second shots held on someone's face as they're just gazing out. Kelly McGillis with her fingers always. Like Ugh. all of the just all the straight cheese to the cheese, which when we watch this, what A pointed out last night is if you watch Top Gun and then you ever watch a Saturday Night Live skit where they're making fun of a melodramatic movie, they are they are role playing Top Gun. That is why <laughs> that is why it is my favorite thing. But there's another thing. With my other favorite thing is, ladies and gentlemen, we got to talk about. Let's go back. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Let's go back to Maine for a second, ladies and gentlemen. Heartbeat hot sauce. We've got Rob. Rob, nice. you're off the screen now, but we can hear your voice just fine. Uh, hey, baby, would you have Vanna White this? I would. I'd love to hear my drool. Can you hear me? Mm-hmm. Oh, this crap is so good. I shouldn't say oh, crap. Sh- oh, Don't call oh, the advertising. No, crap. no, you're advertising it's, it too. We got to get you. It's some very of this good. Right here we go. Here. Oh, I ordered some. I used oh, the, sweet. Uh, the the keyword Sigler and got a twenty yes. percent discount. <laughs> if you guys go to heartbeathotsauce.com, the code Sigler saves you twenty percent. Uh, all of Heartbeat hot sauces are made with natural ingredients and no preservatives. They use no thickening agents or water, unlike most other sauces. And peppers are traditionally fermented for forty five days before nope, being this way. aged to maximum flavor. The sauces are flavor forward and heat balanced, which A is not as into the hot sauce as I am. I would love to be, but, but I can't tolerate she, it's it. It's not her thing, but she has been able to eat most of these. These are very approachable even for a non hot sauce person. We can attest to that. Oh, that's really true. Yeah, yeah, it's very it's very true. They have an extremely versatile flavor assortment and there's something for every food you're eating. Mm. Uh, so, the call to action, we uh, we gotta do the call to action. That's what we do. Heartbeat hot sauce is hooking up with my hooking up my listeners for a special deal. Go to heartbeathotsauce.com. Use the promo code SIGLER at checkout. 20% off your entire purchase. You can also go to the site to find your closest retailer and get your hands on the hottest hot sauce so far, the Scorpion. It's so hot, you might say it's Goodness gracious, great balls of fire hot is what oh, you might nicely say. Nicely done. That's this one. That's but this one, Scorpion. If you find out where you can buy these in stores, you don't save the 20%. Father's Day is coming up. They've got an awesome, assemble any of their, I think, 13 or 14 flavors into a four-pack. Get that nice. for your pops. Heartbeathotsauce.com. Go to go there. Use the code Sigler. Save 20% off. And uh, let's get back to Top Gun. Well, I will That's also it. say this, you guys. Um, so we... 
we uh, these we have seven bottles, and these are the f- four of the five that are open because we Scorpion. don't have that much room. Scorpion's in the re- good. Yeah, Scorpion, Scorpion and Habanero, I can't try because I can't. I I love hot stuff, but I can't tolerate it. Okay. Um, pineapple Habanero and Jalapeno the, and Hedonist. Oh my god, the Jalapeno good. is incredible. It's incredible. It's not hot at all, but man, that stuff is the pineapple absolutely Jalapeno. Delicious. You mean no, just the Jalapeno. Oh, the really? green one. Oh, the green, the green one. Can, the green yes, one. yes. The Habanero. I don't think I'll try though. Ollie Kirby asked if they ship internationally. We don't know. We haven't looked that up yet. Um, America Privilege. We haven't bothered to. But they are a Canadian company. They are. They are the. That's a Thunder Bay, Ontario. Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. on Thunder Bay, Ontario. And so mm-hmm. if we count them, that's another country on this cast. We are just crushing it. <laughs> We're crazy. We're crushing it. Let's I know. just saw the name Hedonist and assumed they made a bottle of that specifically for me. So yes. that's definitely part of my order. <laughs> for sure. For sure. <laughs> Steve Compton ordered some. We can see that in the in the in the chat room. Dead poet. Dead pet says would so buy that stuff, dude. Just buy it; it's it's delicious. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to general notes. Oh, so I wanted to say one of my favorite things about the movie, like I mentioned, was sort of the the aerobatic uh, uh, pilots and stuff. And I wanted to say that um, at the time in 1986, one of the most renowned uh, aerobatic pilots or acrobatic pilots—I keep saying aerobatic—that's about birds. Um, I don't think that's a word. Yeah, acrobatic pilots. Um, his name was. Arthur Scholl, Art Scholl, mm-hmm. and he was killed during filming of this movie. Scholl was attempting to create a flat spin so an onboard camera could capture it for the film, so it would look like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, however, the air- aircraft failed to recover from the s- from the spin. Scholl re- radioed back to the tower saying, "I have a problem." I have a real problem. And then he crashed into the Pacific Ocean and neither the body or his body or the plane were ever recovered. Even to this day, I looked it up. Oof. And so the film is dedicated to him. The very last frame is uh, is about Art Shaw and dedicated to him. In San Diego, there's a whole bunch of uh, thunder, like plane contests and stuff in the summertime. Uh, it's called Thunder Week and it's super fun. And they always have a tribute to Art Shaw because San Diego misses him for that reason. Uh, This is a great one. Scott Altman, who would later go on to be a NASA astronaut, was one of the four Navy pilots chosen to represent the actors in the flying scenes. And this incredibly, incredibly accomplished man who who traveled far in the naval ranks (laughs) and who became an astronaut, a very, very rare group of individuals. He is the pilot in the famous flipping the bird scene. That is his finger. I mean, (laughs) wow, you guys, though. (laughs) Well, now the other pilot had to be just as accomplished because we know they were... Inverted. Inverted. <laughs> um, correct. But so the guy that gets flipped off was naval aviator Robert Willard, who was the lead flight choreographer um, of the film. He eventually becomes an admiral in the Navy and wow. was the commander of the U.S. Pacific Fleet. Holy one crap. Point. So, I mean, we're talking about they picked some pretty good freaking pilots to that be is... part of Top Gun, no doubt about it, which is why. The flight scenes are so freaking awesome. And yeah. almost everything is, if not everything, is a practical effect. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Exactly I, they, right. it's, 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 there were some gra- video effects, but over, I mean, there were, clearly when the two, the two planes are this far apart flying, that's comped together. But overall, mm-hmm. it goes back to the original Star Wars before mm-hmm. CGI came in. While some of the effects are a little janky, overall, it looks much more realistic. Yeah. And, and they, there weren't computer graphics at the time that were suitable for this, but... Um, it, that's why it ages so well. Yeah. When you see bad computer graphics, they do not age well at all. Yeah, no, they don't. 
If you guys hear that plane, if you can hear that on the cast, that's from Miramar. So we we planned that. It's not just noise. I would like Planet Frat to point this out, that uh, the Top Gun video game was uh, a big deal on the Nintendo when I was a freshman in college. And I actually skipped classes to play the Top Gun video game. I was cutting weight madly for wrestling. And me and my roommate, Andre, and it was Andre... Call Death sign Ray. Death Ray Ridley and Scott <laughs> no call, call sign, sign Mad Doberman Sigler. <laughs> For a couple of couple Wait, of eighteen year olds, the Mad Doberman. I was Ooh. part of my. Ta- I was a, in a tag team. There was Doberman and Rottweiler, the Rabbit Dogs. It was me and Polly Big Nuts. Nobody Myers. was nobody was a min pin. There were no min pins because my no min pin is fierce. There were no min pins, but we would play this game nonstop, and it was. I'm, I can't have it now. If we have the 1988 version of Top Gun in the house, I will do nothing else. Also, you guys, well, let's just also so you know. remember the um, the F14 pinball game that was oh, at geez. Papa Jay's in Sheboygan. Oh, jeez, OP. That, <laughs> I, I believe remember. Jeff Rappelge poured every dollar he ever made into that game. <laughs> we called it the Big Lie. Him and Bob Gilliland would just stand at that machine for about six hours every night playing the F14 pinball game. Fantastic. Uh, so I will say, um, I I told the story to Scott last night when we were rewatching this movie, and said I can't talk about it on the cast because it just doesn't fit in. And he was like, "You're going to have to tell this on the cast." Mm, nice. So I remember going to this movie, and back in the day, uh, in my life, I had a crew of friends about twelve people who were boys and girls both, and we would always go on Friday night, you know, the your mom drives, my mom picks up, whatever. The old we'd days. Go to the after the movie. We'd go to the RKO theater and we'd watch a movie on Friday nights, and we watched Top Gun. And then afterwards, we would walk to Friendly's, which was an ice, it's like a Denny's with ice cream. And we would go there to get ice cream. And when, I remember to this day how all the boys in our group, and we're all 14, 15, 16 years old, were very manly. Manly after the they strode in. Can you can you do the striding in? I can. I have to take <laughs> off my headphones, so you're gonna have to I, navigate. I, I we have to do this. Go. So no, this yeah, and we were confused by it, but here's sort of what happened. So this is a describing the boys who were boys before the movie and then were men walking okay. into friendlies. Mm, yes, yes. <laughs> I'm a man. How I take they, up space. How did they ask for the table, babe? I'm strutting. Do you have a table for 10? (laughs) (laughs) And we were like this. So here's the thing. We were already, if you, you know, I was part, I had a boyfriend, right? And I was already digging my boyfriend. But that night we were like, okay, guys, um, this seems fine, right? There's nothing wrong, right? Are they breathing? Are they breathing in? (laughs) Are they breathing in? And another, another nice Note from the movie, uh, the classic scene where after McGillis tells Cruz she didn't want anyone to find out she was falling for him, Cruz <laughs> kisses her. And that wasn't planned because yep. baby actor Tom Cruise forgot his lines, so he just kissed her. Tony <laughs> Scott liked it and kept it. And Anne and I were noticing that line like, I oh don't want God. I don't want anyone to know that I've fallen so hard for you. And then like the next eight scenes are basically yeah. them making out on base somewhere. Uh-huh. Or yes. at Kansas City Barbecue, which is where all the thieves go, <laughs> but they're not gonna let anybody know. Jenny, I love that you love Friday. <laughs> You love friendlies. I love that. That's so cool. Uh, yeah. So it's interesting when you're talking about scenes between McGillis and Cruz. Um, mm-hmm. McGillis is actually three inches taller than Tom Cruise is. Tom Cruise is only five foot seven. He's a little feller. Um, and 
you know, he later in his career, he made it part of his contract that all of his co-stars had to be shorter than he was mm-hmm. so that he didn't look short. So there's very few scenes where you see the full bodies of McGillis and Cruz because he's wearing lifts. They're, they're putting him on a platform. They're putting her in a hole in the ground or something so that they're at least equally tall if he's not taller. Like the one time, the first time they really, you see them both standing up is in the bathroom. She leans against the counter mm-hmm. while he is standing tall so that she is a little shorter than he is. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's, um, they had to shoot around how much taller she was. Plus her character wears heels everywhere. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. the whole point of and the you, character. Yeah. You so can see a they little constantly bit, had to shoot around that. You can see even with the adjustments and like the elevator scene, he's standing lifts. You mm-hmm. can see that they have a different physicality. She mm-hmm. just looks like yep. a bigger human being than he does. Yep. And it was, it, 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 it as a, as a former wrestler, you, you become very adept at looking at people engaging how much they weigh. It's just a thing that we all pick up over the time. And you look at that, you're like, Oh, she's, she's a lot bigger than he is. You mm-hmm. can figure that out. Mm-hmm. So no doubt about it. Yep. So, uh, Scott brought up one thing after the, the line, which turns out to have been, uh, ad libbed on camera, uh, with the kiss, you know, I don't want anybody to find out about this and then the kiss. We do see them dozens of times in public right. doing inappropriate things for a student and a teacher. Very inappropriate. That said, there is also this that exists with Maverick. Maverick does so many things that would absolutely get him court uh, oh, oh, yeah. the break. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) Instantly booted. And uh, uh, the Navy has a thing called excellence without arrogance. In case you just recently watched Top Gun, I'll repeat it. (laughs) The Navy to this day has a credo that is excellence without arrogance arrogance wow that oh, mofo out oh, oh that was that tiny mofo oh, <laughs> oh dude he would never have made it to top gun school if he'd buzzed the tower five times without oh, permission Jesus. in other places he never would have gotten to top gun and he would have gotten thrown in the brig the very first day he was there let's talk oh, about just the, just buzzing penny benjamin would have been enough yeah, to absolutely. get him kicked out. let's talk yep. about the final the final buzzing the tower uh they've just been in a dogfight. With six mm-hmm. MIGs, one of the F-15s is completely shot to hell as an engine mm-hmm. out, and they're like, we're just going to go buzz a tower together. That's it's fine. like, no, you, they, you land the goddamn plane. <laughs> yeah. That was crazy. <laughs> land a plane. And there are so many little, little tiny moments. And, and again, I will remind you, this is sort of the first of the movies like Independence Day, Armageddon. Uh, War of the Worlds. Okay. These giant, giant, we don't mm-hmm. care about the minutia and the details. Crimson Tide, oh, everybody on that, everybody it. on that submarine had the same insignia, had the same, like they were ready to go. Got the real. Yeah. There, one, there's no Top Gun school. That's not a thing. There's no Top Gun award. That's uh, not a thing. There's no Top Gun award. Yes, well, it's not called Top, Top Gun, Gun school, school, but it's not called Top not Gun school. Yeah, you either pass or yeah, don't pass. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. about to say, there's no Top Gun School? I don't think yeah, it's called think. Top Gun School. Okay. But maybe it is. Maybe I'm wrong. It's I still, think. yeah, it's it's called the... Casually, you know, colloquially like called... aviator, fighter, blah, blah, blah. But, but still but actively, they, they call it Top Gun School. They call it Top Gun. Yeah, but there isn't a trophy. And there's, <laughs> there's certainly not a no trophy. plaque. You either, you either pass or you don't pass. That's it. There's no competition. Yeah. I will also point out, I feel like Ice, even though we all love to hate him... I didn't hate him. Well, you kind of don't love him because you want Maverick to win. 
I didn't want Maverick to win. Oh, okay. I didn't. So I, didn't I like feel him. like I thought he was. I thought he was wild card. I thought he was unpredictable. He was only about and to get. If you think he was, if he was a cop, I would dangerous. Ask for his, yes, I would have asked for his gun and his badge. I would have busted his ass back down to traffic. That's what I would have done. Don't need a wild yeah, card you in were, my precinct. You were rooting for Goose, and they were attached at the hip. God, Sorry, dang it, buddy. that's that's true. But that's here's true. the thing. If you remove um, Val Kilmer's performance and just look at Iceman's words, Iceman is the traditional he's, U.S. Navy. He's a little tall for it, though, I think. The Navy pilots are a little shorter by average. For, I'm saying if you remove Val Kilmer's physicality well, and also his attitude and everything, and yeah. you just yes. read his yeah. lines, mm-hmm. he is the traditional, to this day, mm-hmm. U.S. Navy. What we need is for you to be a team player. The problem with you is that you're dangerous. It's yep. that you don't think about the rest of us. That's He's not saying anything that we wouldn't want. That's also a fighter pilot. However, fighter would any of us, while saying his lines, have done the tooth chomp? No. no I'm not so. sure any of us would have done that. Which is why I had to take out the physicality and the acting. <laughs> the, the last point I will make, and then everybody will make a, a finishing point as we finish up our hour here of talking about Top Gun, is I thought Val Kilmer's strongest scene, one of the strongest scenes in the whole movie, was that thing Rob mentioned where he's trying to find the words to console his archenemy about his archenemy's best friend who is now dead. I thought that was very, in the world of testosterone dudes who are trying really hard to, you know, to achieve, to be number one, etc., that his stumbling through those lines was was excellent. And then he didn't even have like a resolution or he didn't find no. the words at the end. No. He just said, sorry. And then just, and just jetted. It was yeah. fantastic. And I also he was think- in the moment. Yeah. yeah. I was about to say, this is how we interact with each other as people. Like, it's hard to do the hard things, you know? You could see his brain working in something that his brain normally doesn't have to work at. Yeah. So my last favorite thing is, or favorite last thought, is uh, the Navy, I mentioned at the top of the hour, the Navy uh, actively promoted the Navy at the release of Top Gun. Because it was such a great commercial, so to speak. And uh, to capitalize on the film's popularity, the Navy set up... Uh, recruitment booths outside theaters <laughs> in order to recruit moviegoers to join the Navy. They reportedly got a 500% boost in applications. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. And I love that. This that's is a smart fantastic. way to, to capitalize on yeah, that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible. I wonder if that's why Bob Gilland signed up for the Air Force, probably because <laughs> he saw a Top Gun. Like, yep, that sounds Pilot good. Possible. I'll do that. Yeah, he was going to be a pilot. That was his plan. So, oh, yeah, yep. absolutely. Rob, what is your final uh, point about the movie? My last thing is, you know, bringing up the Navy and the Pentagon. They were very involved in the whole shooting of this movie. They got paid $1.8 million plus to use their aircraft and their aircraft carriers and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And they were still active duty things they had to do all this stuff in addition to everything else you know their normal duties right but they had to pay them. i mean literally there's one shot that tony scott wants the sunset behind the aircraft carrier so he has to get the aircraft carrier to turn it around 180 <laughs> degrees and the captain's like absolutely just write me a check for twenty five thousand dollars and tony scott just wrote him a check for twenty five thousand dollars and they turned the ship around yeah which which again one of the reasons why tony scott got fired three yeah. times uh, yeah, yeah. because of but, course god what you may not know is they also had script approval the the pentagon did they do right? for they Maverick too over, right mm-hmm. yeah 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 they they went over it with a fine tooth comb and took out a bunch of stuff. For instance, Cougar is originally supposed to die crashing his plane into the uh, 
um, into the aircraft carrier at the beginning of the movie, and that's why he doesn't go to Top Gun. Okay. Um, Goose was supposed to die because of a, uh, a mid-air collision between two planes, and basically the Pentagon said it makes our pilots look like they're crappy. Mm-hmm. We don't Which want is true. Them. So they had to change those two circumstances because the Pentagon said you're not going to shoot this movie with us unless you change those things. So, I didn't realize that about Goose, but I have to say it made the movie better. That that Tom Cruise is the one who supports him. So he does like that's oh, way more no, powerful. No doubt about it. Yeah, and way that, more powerful. That canopy thing actually happened. They they brought that from practical. That happened to somebody in the Navy. That guy actually lived, mm-hmm. but they said here's they tried to brainstorm ideas of how he could still die. Okay. They said, here's something that happened that might have killed somebody. And they yeah. went with that. So that's crazy. Canopy thing. That's right. And I can't even imagine it the other way with the same impact. Right. Yeah, exactly yeah, right. For sure. Yeah. So I think that's it, you guys. Um, Thank you both so much for co-hosting with me. Uh, We have you guys who are listening and watching at home. You know that we have moved stories back to once a month right now. It is now the second Saturday of every month, Mm -hmm. which means we three will be back on July 10th and we will be discussing the Avengers in anticipation of Black Widow releasing on July 9th next month yeah cannot wait for that very excited about the black widow movie very excited and uh rob uh rob is a knows quite a lot about the avengers quite yeah, a lot i'm so super be excited because i i believe it or not i've never seen the avengers what i know <laughs> yeah, you, you uh, guys saw it together so i never saw yeah, it that's that's the two British uh, spies, right? Isn't that the Avengers? It is. Right? It Isn't is. That? In the black. Yeah. Is that what we're talking black about? Jumpsuits. Oh, the, hey, the yeah. black jumpsuit. Hey, I'll watch the black leather jumpsuit any day. Any <laughs> I think day. it's a black vinyl. Hell yeah. yeah. I think it's a black Hell vinyl yeah. jumpsuit. That's even better. <laughs> even better. Even better. <laughs> <laughs> Robbie, thank you so much for joining us. We will see you Bye, next guys. month. See you all next month. See ya. All righty, you guys. I think that actually wraps us up for episode 72 of Story Smack. Um, you can find Scott and I online all the time. Scott is at Scott Ziegler at Twitter and Instagram. And is uh, Scott's, oh, sorry, is uh, Facebook.com slash Scott Ziegler on Facebook. I am at A Real Girl on Twitter and at a.real.girl on Instagram. You can find us online for this show at facebook.com slash storiesmack. Which one of these days? I'm actually going to update, I swear to God. We <laughs> live stream storiesmack every other Saturday at facebook.com slash scottsigler, twitch.tv slash scottsigler, and youtube.com slash scottsigler. So if you're hearing this in the podcast feed and you want to join us live second Saturday of every month, you get to see Rob Otto's smiling face and watch us have a good time talking about movies and stories and storytellers. And in addition to storiesmack, we do a once-week weekly live stream called Sigler in Place. It's on Wednesdays at 6 p.m. Pacific time right here where you're watching this. And we release an unabridged episode of one of my serialized novels every week. You get episodes for free every Sunday via iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and more. Just go to scottsigler.com slash subscribe, get the links, sign up, and get my stuff in your ears. (laughs) And as ever, we really do hope that you subscribe so you can hear Scott's books and more Story Smack goodness in the future. And until the next episode, thank you to our sponsor for this episode, Heartbeat Hot Sauce. Until the next episode of Story Smack, we will talk to you all real soon. We love you guys.
every five minutes. A transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.